1: Hello, and welcome to... Who is that guy? Kind of like, welcome to Fantasy Island. Smiles, everyone. Hey, welcome to Snark Monkey episode number five. I knew when I sat down to talk with John McCook that it would be a great conversation. Because he's funny, and he's been working in the industry for a while. He's going to have great stories. He always has great stories. But I don't think I realized exactly the kind of zelig like existence he's had in entertainment, the number of people he's met. I guess when you are a consistently working actor, as he has been, and also because of the wide variety of the kind of stuff he's done, from uh, musical theater and being on stage to playing in Vegas to, um, well, on and on. John McCook is best known currently and for years as the patriarch of, of the Forrester fashion empire family on The Bold and the Beautiful, the long-running daytime drama, which you can see uh, Monday through Friday, 1.30 p.m. That would be Eastern and Pacific and 12.30 Central. Am I getting that right? It's on CBS. Check your local listings, as they say. He's been doing that show since the late 80s. He has been on television in one form or another since... Well, you'll find out. I mean, you'll hear his story. You'll hear his whole journey and his whole path. And yet again, another story about how someone's passion fuels getting you into something creative and also the number of left turns it can take along the way and how that turns into a career and what that means and how you adjust to that and adapt to that and thrive in that. But more than anything, man, how much fun is John McCook. And the great thing is he's been in this business long enough, he doesn't care anymore. He's good. <laughs> and I mean that in the way he definitely cares about his work and his art. Uh, but he didn't care what he says anymore. He's so completely open and so candid about his life and his work. This was just so much fun. So if you are joining Snark Monkey for the very first time because you are a fan of The Bold and the Beautiful and the daytime dramas and it, you you feel like John McCook is part of your family, well, consider part of your family has you know sat down and decided he's just going to let it all hang out, and this is what you get. Uh, I think I also want to mention, just to give them a little plug, The Bold and the Beautiful is on CBS Monday through Friday, one30 Check your local listings. And I believe that they actually have a big crossover episode with the other long-running, quite popular daytime drama, The Young and the Restless, coming up on November 20th. So again, should I say it again? Check your local listings. But stay tuned for John McCook, Snark Monkey, episode number five.
2: Resonant tones. Okay, so there it is. Take it or leave it. You, you know, that's what you got. You comfy? Yeah.
1: Um, so, um, I'll do a big intro before we start this. Uh, you do what again? Your whole background and, blah, oh, blah, blah, oh, okay. and who you are and, uh, you know, for people who don't know. I mean, who doesn't know you? Lots of people don't know me. I'm in mean, daytime television. <laughs> I people, that, you know, they don't know you. They, they,
2: they don't. They work. They do stuff. You know, and people, I see women in in the market, and they go, uh, "Oh my God, I used to watch you." And I go, "Why used to? Why did you stop?" Oh, I work now. And I go, "Wait a minute, you don't have a DVR. You do you know, tape it and watch it. That's what I do. I don't sit down at twelve thirty every day and watch stuff."
1: Are you having these conversations in supermarkets, accosting poor working women? Who- yes,
2: yes. <laughs> you know, I don't have to listen to that crap. You know, if you want to watch the show, if you like
1: it, tape it and watch it at night. There is no reason not to watch. It. that's right does the bold and the beautiful have the ability to uh, on demand watch it online these days or? i believe so uh, cbs.com and those people have See, all that stuff. there's certainly know. no excuse then. yeah it's all different now you know I,
2: this is stuff i don't understand our, our people at, at bold and beautiful say okay get yourself a website you need to be on twitter you need to be doing you know post pictures of yourself all the time what is that called selfies and stuff and i'm going no no, I'm 70 years old. I don't know about that. You know, <laughs> it
1: doesn't resonate. I don't know right? how to
2: work the dishwasher, right? So, you know, don't give me this phone <laughs> stuff. You know, anyway, people are doing that like crazy now. So, of course, it's available anytime, anywhere you want to see it. Of course.
1: How long have you been doing this? Has been since "Bolden the Beautiful," since. 80s the 87 87? the bold
2: and beautiful is we're in our 28th year now yes uh, and I'm uh, Catherine Kelly Lang and I are the only two remaining originals on the show uh,
1: how many um, daytime dramas are even left is it you? oh there's
2: four there's, there's four. four and they're all been on longer than we have we're still the baby you know General Hospital days of our lives and uh, and oh and young and Russells I mean, across Rustless, the whole right. have all
1: been on longer than we have right we're
2: still the baby
1: but um, but you've said, I mean, at the, at their height, at the height of popularity, how many daytime dramas were Oh, on? there
2: were 10, maybe 12, but there's certainly 10 for years and years and on years. On three networks. On three networks spread out, you know, and some of them, you know, most of them were shot in New York. Yeah. as in the old days, that's where they all started, you know. It's not where they all started. Some of them started in Chicago, in radio. I mean, in the late 50s. That's right. Uh, these were little 15-minute uh,
1: soap operas. Um, on radio, and uh, well, and that's, then, why they, and, that's why they got their name because they were usually always sponsored by soap companies because they and were during we the still day. housewives, we, st- yeah. we still are. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, let's go. I want to go way back with because you were actually, where where were you born?
2: In Ventura, California, right yeah, here. So you're right here, yeah.
1: but you've been yeah. all over the place since then.
2: All over the place. I mean, when I started, oh my goodness and I graduated from high school in 1962 you know so and I was a music guy I was uh, singing in the choir and studying piano and and uh were you a hoofer as they say were you a hoofer a hoofer no I was never a hoofer <laughs> I worked in a hoofer's act you know but uh no I could never dance no? I moved well I moved But you were well. in musical theater correct Lots of musical theater that yeah. was my ticket to uh that was my ticket to become a man, really, to become an adult and make my own living, was to start working in the chorus and musical theater as a singer. And uh, now,
1: Did you do it in school or did it...
2: Well, I did it in school some, of course. You know, I did Oklahoma and this one and that so one. So you and, were doing the high school and musicals and, chor- and all oh, that. Oh, my the goodness, same ones yes. they're doing now. But then I was also doing uh, 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 community theater there between Oxnard and Ventura and, and my mother, it scared the hell out of my mother because she's, a, those theater people, you know, those people are show dangerous folk. for a 17-year-old. Yeah, show focus like the music man came into town, you know. <laughs> uh, she she was really uh, very guarded about my enthusiasm for all of that. What did your parents do? And, and I do? understood that, you know. What did your parents do? My my dad worked in the oil fields up in Ventura. He, oh, was, wow. a, he was a, uh, what do you call him? I don't even know the word for it. But he was he wore a hard hat and was pumping pumping oil like on those rigs, all yeah. through the... Uh, all through the Depression and and, and uh, World War Two too, because those guys didn't get drafted because they, they needed to work in the oil business. Right. So he was, all through the Depression, he was the only person in our whole family, including my mother's family and her brothers and everybody. He was the only one that had a job wow. consistently. So, so my uncles providing. and everybody, they came in and out of our house uh, while they were looking for work and stuff. But my dad was working, you know, and he, he worked until that year, 63, 64
1: and your mom was
2: just my being, mom was raising, a homemaker with him you know yeah. and uh, um, Brothers, very sisters. interested in higher education and really? uh, she wanted me to be a concert pianist because i was playing piano and i'm going that's a little too much discipline for me mom <laughs> you know but i didn't know that's what i was saying but that's what i was saying and then when i discovered theater uh, i didn't see theater until i was like 12 my mother used to come down here to LA to shop and there weren't a lot of uh, places along the freeways uh, so we had to go down, downtown LA to shop and there was the big Philharmonic uh, theater down there and um, they would uh, host touring shows. And when I was 12, my mother took me to see Peter Pan there. Okay. Uh, and see, was,
1: this is what I like to get to because there's usually that one moment. There oh. is that formative, like movie or stage show or something, where where a switch just flips.
2: Yeah, I, I saw that, and uh, we were way up in the nosebleed, you know. And yeah. I see Mary Martin and Cyril Richard. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was an English actor who played that hilarious uh, Captain Hook. Oh wow! And uh, a That's wonderful great. old English actor. He's very funny and foppish and hilarious. And Mary Martin's flying for God's sake! And I see this, and now I'm already taking piano, I'm already singing in the choir and everything, but I had never seen theater. And I saw that, and I went, What the? I said, You know, so then I knew when I grew up, I was either going to be Mary Martin or Cyril (laughs) Richard. I still haven't quite. Decided. Uh,
1: is the jury still out on yeah, it? it is,
2: in some <laughs> quarters, yes. And so uh, there, there it was. I went, my God. And so from then on, when my mother would bring me down here to shop, and I'd have to hang on to her, you know, I wouldn't have to hang on to her coattails, I, she could put me in the record department, and I would play the album of the next musical that was coming, Showboat or Annie Get Your Gun or something, and I would learn that show in the record thing with earphones on before I got to see it two months hence. And I would go see that. And that was my beginnings of my education in musical theater. And so that's, that's why... When people say, what well, What about the rock and roll years in the late 70s, or 60s, 70s and stuff? Right. And I go, that wasn't me. Yeah, you're because graduating
1: high school when the Beatles are about to And hit. The Beatles are just about to arrive. So British Invasion, none of that, Rolling Stones. It didn't, you know, you none know I, of I was
2: aware of it, but it didn't impact me because yeah. I'm doing, you know, uh, flower drum song and I'm doing eye makeup, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, what? Uh, you know, I, I'm involved in the musical theater and in classical music because of the piano. Uh, the the only music I listened to or tried to accomplish was was Chopin and, and Mozart and and that's who I was and as I as and you know in, in the early sixties my goodness I'm in the I'm in you know I'm in the chorus in Summerstock and then I went to New York and I did a a version of West Side Story there and I came back and then but 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 during those those years and you know Kennedy was shot when I was a young Chorus boy in Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas when Kennedy was shot, rehearsing high button shoes at the Thunderbird Hotel. For God's sake, you know. And then, then I went to New York, and I came back, and then I got put under contract with Warner Brothers, and then I got drafted into the U.S. Army uh, in '66 uh, because of Vietnam. And uh, where'd you end up? I ended up. Um, well, I went to basic training and advanced infantry training and then sent to radio school because you can recognize rhythm in, in Morse code. They think, well, this guy can do radio. So I went to radio school. And at the end, at, 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 after eight weeks of learning stuff about radio, every at the end of the eight weeks, the class ahead of you gets their orders. And they were all going to Vietnam, all of them, wearing a PRC-10 oh. backpack with a big aerial so the Cong could see where you were, you know. Oh. Uh, it was oh called man. a PRC a prick 10 they called it and I went oh my god and that was the class ahead of me so I went up to the 28th Army Band at Fort Ord, California that's where I was and I, I said sir do you need a piano player sir <laughs> and he said yeah we do you play I said yes sir he said you play Mozart I said yes sir and he said come here and he put, a, he put a French horn concerto in front of me at the piano and I played it and he said where are you and I said I'm in radio school I said no you're not And he uh, changed my MOS, he changed my job description to piano player. And I love that all my my military discharge says piano player because that's who I was. So where did you end up? Performing? I ended up at Fort Ord all those years. Yeah, they they sent me down to Arizona for a while, and they had a band, an army band, with six tuba players and fourteen pianists. So they said, well, we don't need him here, you know. So they sent me back to Fort Ord, and I got involved with special services. And what did I do? I did theater. We did theater. So we you were entertaining plays. your fellow yeah, troops. Yeah, we were. It was cool. Wow! It was cool. So the so, so I called my mom. I said, "Thank you,
1: mom." <laughs> I was just gonna say,
2: "Piano saved my ass during yeah. Vietnam." Yeah, you and felt at, like you were next. You were on that. Oh, next. I was gonna go. Yeah, and all the guys in my in my class did go. Wow! I don't know how many came back. I don't know. So what year were were you out of the service? Sixty eight. Sixty eight. I got out and I came back to Universal where I was on a contract and kind of they dropped me because the people that assigned me were no longer my there. champions yeah. anymore. So I went back into the theater and back and forth, and I went back and forth to theater and stuff for years, for years, and then and that's theater is what got me into Las Vegas, and that's how I met my first wife, who was a uh, was a Vegas headliner, and I worked in her act for years, and I met everyone because by then now it's 1970, and I was in Vegas, I was in Las Vegas from 1970
1: until 19. Uh, 75 is when I started. Oh, uh, now this is interesting because this is a, uh, tell me who's headlining, who's, who's well, these the, were, the these big were, marquees. These
2: were great years for me. I mean, uh, Dean Martin was headlining and right. Sinatra was still headlining and, right. and Shirley MacLaine and Ann Margaret and, and, and Liza LA and I was there for all that. Oh. And and everybody knew everybody. You know, we'd go to parties that you go to a party at 2.30 in the morning and, and, and Dean Martin standing there going, I got to get you a drink. You know, it was pretty cool. That's pretty great. cool. That's great. And my act, the act I was in, was Juliet Prowse, and she was the, the only dance act that was a headlining act. And uh, she had worked. I, I met everybody. I met Elvis in those years because we we had Elvis had worked in a movie with Julia GI Blues, and he uh, he was coming in and out of town working at the Hilton. Yeah, the this was cult. this was major jumpsuit this, Elvis this years. This is big. This is before you started to get chunky. You know. Yeah let alone everything else. And, and he had such respect for Juliet and for other other women, too, in his life at that point, anyway. Um, he wanted to see the act. And uh, we were a big sensation there. And we had we had six boy dancers and two girl dancers and three girl singers and me. I, was, I did comedy sketches with Juliet and, and sang with her. And so one day they said, Elvis is going to come see the act. And we went, oh, my God, this is so cool, you know. So Elvis' you know, people uh requested that between the opening act and when Juliet started, he, w- he wouldn't come in be- until then, that when the, when the lights went low in the house, then he would sneak in your drum roll and have that drum roll in the house to dark, and he would sneak in and get into one of the booths down front to watch Juliet's act so as not to pull focus
1: or anything like that. Right, because he would and cause so, quite a stir. Oh, please. Maybe this, probably this is, the f- most famous entertainer in the world at that time. At that absolutely, absolutely. Right? No question about it. And we're all a Twitter that Elvis
2: is going to see our show. So the show starts. But we, you know, before that, and I'm the guy on the mic, you know, because I can do that. So, so the <laughs> drum roll, and I'm saying, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting because they have to be sure that Elvis is in. And then they cue me to go ahead, and Elvis is in the seat. Go ahead. So finally, it's like you know, ladies and gentlemen, the Desert Inn is proud to present Juliet Prowse. and the, and you know, but while he's coming in in the dark, what's he wearing? He's wearing a white jumpsuit full of jewels. So in the dark, you can see him. In the dark, it's Elvis Presley. So, you know, it's just ridiculous. He wasn't doing it on purpose. He just had, a, you know, a malfunction. Uh, well, that,
1: and that uh, was his outfit around that time. That's you right. Did, you that didn't, he it. didn't go out in public unless he was. No, unless yeah. he was like that. He probably had the, the dark, dark glasses, glasses on, on, too. Anyway, Amazing. he came
2: back after. He was so uh, humbled by the act because the act was stunning. Uh he was so respectful of all of our dancers, all of our people. I mean, you know, there's a lot of sort of gay boys dancing in the show and so on. He, was, he had no problem with that. He wasn't judgmental about any of that. He sat there for 40 minutes and talked to us, 45 minutes, about the show and this and that. And then he pulled me inside, that comedy show. You know, I was doing comedy sketches like Carol Burnett shows Stuff with Juliet, Blackouts, Down in One. Right. And he loved all that shit. You know, he, he loved all that one-liner comedy stuff. And so he came back within a year and saw the show again. Same deal.
1: Uh, After Jan Murray, we had to wait for him to come in, you know. So so for the rest of your career, uh, whatever awards you might win or whatever accomplishments you might get, if the king says you're funny, what else do you need? I didn't need anything else, (laughs) I mean, really. He was cool. You're a funny man.
2: Here's what was cool. Years later, many years later now, coming back just a few years ago, the daytime Emmys were in Vegas one year televised and everything and after the and it was at the hilton at the international or what we called it the international it was at the hilton and at the at the end of the uh, broadcast there was a party for uh, you know the select few that got to go to the party and it was way upstairs in the elvis suite upstairs and and ron moss one of the actors on bold and beautiful came back that weekend and said because uh, i hadn't gone and he said after the thing i was in the elvis suite and i said <laughs> I was in the Elvis suite when Elvis was in the Elvis suite. So get get away from me. Anyway, you know it's it's really fun to be able to have your feet in in uh, in the '70s in Vegas. Come on, that was great. You know that was really fun.
1: Yeah, because that definitely is. I mean, obviously, it's still a big entertainment capital, but but that there was a very specific type of entertainment and a very specific type of entertainer that you really didn't see anywhere else. We don't
2: see it anymore. You know, the stand-up comics, very few work Vegas anymore. And right. If they do, you don't even know about it because it's not a big showroom. They're just, you know, right. doing their act in a smaller room
1: somewhere. Well, it's that variety thing that just doesn't exist anymore. No, I mean, no, you, it's simply you, not you, there. And you witnessed that once you got into TV, too. Which is, I mean, Did you end up, after Vegas, is that when you, because if you look at your IMDb, <laughs> yeah, you basically worked on every television show. That oh, existed. yeah, but that would that started because that's the '80s. Then okay. that's when I came back. But when I got when I finally
2: said to Juliet, I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to be a I'm going to be a drunk conductor in Vegas one year, mm-hmm. and I you know I'm going to owe all my money to the to the casino probably, like all the other conductors up there. <laughs> you know, I said, I can't. And also, I said, I have to get my acting career back together. You know, I'm not
1: acting. I'm just doing this. I want to be acting. Yeah, you you, and, you lose a chunk of time in Vegas. I mean, people yeah. talk about losing time in oh, Vegas all goodness. the time. We but but from a six, career standpoint. We were
2: doing six months a year in Vegas, yeah. no, a month at a time. So we would go out after that and do Sweet Charity on the road or, or do her act on the road somewhere and then come back and do Vegas again. We had a house up there. We lived there, literally, you know, in a house in L.A. And we had a baby together, and 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 she's you know. So I stopped doing Vegas, and I started. I came back to L.A. and I'm living with the nanny and and the maid and the and the baby who was like one. And Juliet's off, you know, touring all the time. And I'm going, what's wrong with this picture, you know? And so uh, I started doing the I start doing television again, and uh, um, I was very. Uh, I replaced somebody on The Young and the Restless. I had never been on a soap opera before, and here's another job, and this is still before the 80s. And I, I replaced, and I was on, on The Young and the Restless for five years, 75 to 80.
1: Yeah, a lot of people, I think, uh, it's obviously part of your history, but because you've been part of Bold and the Beautiful for so long, they forget that you were a part of Young and the Restless. I was,
2: and it was a new show then. It yeah. was only on the air a couple baby. of years before I joined it, yeah. so it was a big deal. And it was The Young and the Restless was pretty and beautiful, and they had no lighting on the set, you know. We used to shoot the show live on tape, and then they would they – would, it was no post-production, so they would send it to New York. And in New York engineers, the video engineers would go, where's the light? There's no light on the set, you know. But our, our lighting people and our – this is so cool. It's so TV, but, but the people that did the lighting on Young and Restless in the years, early years, and the ones that did video and did the lighting and the, and the set designers and decorators took all the light off the walls because the old soap operas what did they do they had three walls they had a, a, a table and a couch and they lit the wall yeah and all this bright light was on the walls and just that's a, what they needed for TV for right. old black and white big TV big flat picture that was they had to have all that light that's right and the actors looked like crap you know and uh-huh. so on uh, well some of them looked like crap off the camera <laughs> whether so.
1: they were lit or not
2: yeah but <laughs> but uh, so they took this and they because it was color and stuff they said we got to do something neat so they took all the light off and they just lit uh areas they lit pools they would light a small area on that wall that had some good color on it and a a spot over here and this you know And, and between those lights it was really dark but really rich colors and then for the actors they didn't light the actors at all still that's that's movie time you don't light the actors on daytime television but they would light areas of the set and these actors were all beautiful they were stunning looking Old or young. They were all great. So it didn't matter how you lit them. Right. They looked great. So they would move through the shadow and into this light, and they looked very interesting. And that and made it beautiful.
1: distinctly different than any of the prime time shows, which were all very brightly lit, or they were shot on film. They were like the dramas. That's right. That, they were that, like movies. Yeah. They, they were shot on film. So, it, so. It, so uh, I don't know that I ever thought about that, but I certainly know that when I was growing up, my, my mom would watch a lot of those. And I realize now they were in every sense, very dark. They were darker than anything else you were yeah. watching. And it created such a tone. There yeah, was... it
2: created a, a color that that was there. Yeah. But the more light you put on it, the less the less color you right, see. Right. You take the color off, you take the light off, and the color's coming back. Interesting. So it was really an interesting switch. And then all the other shows started copying it, which of course they still do. Yeah. And of course now, you know, we're on digital stuff and cameras are all different, the high def and the digital stuff. It doesn't need any light at all. <laughs> you know, although we do it. We use it of course. But we can use it the way it's meant to be used, right. which is just to highlight somebody or to create a nice, you know, mood or something, whatever.
1: So you're uh, you're, you're young and the restless, and then you, bold and the beautiful. Now, this this um, television city is is has been built at this point. It's that's where sure. You guys oh shooting? yeah, I
2: don't go back that far. But but interestingly enough, television city was built for television. That's why it's called that. Right. It was the first building ever mu- built. Exclusively for television. Before that, and it was like in the late fifties. It was like fifty-eight or seven. Oh, okay. Or something like I, that. I
1: didn't realize it was built.
2: No, then. it was it yeah. was built very early and wasn't nearly as big as it is now. But it was built for television. Right. And this is what's funny. Um, until then, television came from the theaters. Or it came from old radio situations or auditoriums that were, you know, but they weren't specifically accommodating television cameras and lighting and right. stuff that they needed to. Yeah, they were usually adapted from pre- some previous medium sure. to, to for TV. Yeah. So, uh, Danny Kay signed on to do a, uh, a, a a variety show for CBS, and he and his wife were very glad to do that, and they got a lot of money and so on. Danny Kay. Uh, And he said, well, we can't do it until a year and a half from now. And so Danny and his manager said, okay, that's fine. In a year and a half, we'll we'll start doing the show. And so uh, a year and a half comes, and CBS calls Danny and says, "Uh, listen, Danny, it's time to do your show. And he says, okay, cool. We have the writing people in place, and the writers that you asked for, everything's in place. He says, okay, when do we start? Where do we do it? He says, well, we're at Television City in Hollywood. And and he says, no, 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 wait, wait. In Hollywood? And Danny K said, no, I'm not going to do the show from Hollywood. I want to do it from New York. I'm a diehard New York guy. I want to do it from New York. That's where television comes from. And they said, no, not anymore. We have Television City in Hollywood. It was built for you and for everybody that wants to do it. And he he argued and argued, and he kept saying, no, no, no. They said, well, we'll put big, get a big house for you in Bel Air. He said, no, we'll get you in a hotel. He said, no. They built an apartment on top of a Television City in Hollywood, an apartment for him, and he and his wife uh, – I can't remember her name. She was his manager, and she was tough. Um, um, He lived in that apartment up there on top of CBS because he refused to settle in Hollywood for any longer. He did two seasons that way, and then he refused to uh, re-up. But my dressing room on on stage 31 is 31K, and our dressing rooms are alphabetical. On 31 doesn't have enough to have a K. Uh But mine's Danny Kaye's dressing room. Really? And I've had it for 28 years now.
1: Isn't that cool? Very cool. I love that. Is, that. is that space still up there somewhere? That they yeah, it's offices in? now.
2: Offices? Yeah, sure. They've got a lot of you know stuff on the roof now.
1: So you're around Television City when things are really bustling. As, as Bold and Beautiful has taken off, then you're working around... I mean, tick off the number of shows that were being produced Well, when around. I first started at Young and
2: Restless, right. you know, Bold and Beautiful, a lot of that stuff's gone already, even when we started. Really? Oh, yeah. But But when I started... Remember, I'm from musical theater and dancers and singers right. and all that. So what year are we so talking? This is 1975, okay. and I'm coming in and I'm replacing an actor on that, and I have to redo what he did yesterday and what we do today because the guy, he did the day on the show. The guy played Lance Prentice on Aaron Russell's. He did the first day, and at the end of the day, he said, I quit. And they said, <laughs> you can't quit. We just shot the, we just shot the show. Yeah. You, your said, character didn't this. die.
1: You have to come back.
2: I don't want this job. Oh, wow. So he left, and at 4 o'clock that afternoon, they called in like three or four actors, and I got the part. He had to sing. He had to dance. So this girl singing in her ear, and, and I was the only one who could do it. And it was real quiet. And, okay, you
1: know. let me, uh, this is another point I want to make because this is almost always in somebody's story, too. This incident where I call it the other guy doesn't show up, but this is basically it. Your career literally changes on a dime because somebody bailed. And not that you weren't talented or didn't have the ability to do it, but there was this little twist of fate that right. suddenly brought you into the room. Exactly. And you just had to embrace it and take it.
2: And it's not like I'm you know, going, get me an audition at, at a soap opera, quick. No. You know, it wasn't like that. Please, I want to be in daytime television. Never occurred to me. In fact, I, was, I had a prejudice about daytime actors and daytime soap operas, like everybody else does and did in those years. Uh, anyway, I replaced this guy. I came into the show. They showed me the script that I had to do for tomorrow, and then we were going to sh- redo the stuff that, that he had <laughs> shot, and we're going to dovetail it into the show. Remember, there was no post-production. You know, there's no editing. So as soon as you had to edit, it cost more money, right? right? So the old shows uh, didn't do anything after. When you finished, it was done. Yeah. That's what they were going to show. They put the music in, everything. It was like live television. How quick was the turnaround on that? Uh, about two weeks. Uh-huh. It would air about two weeks later out of New York what's funny? We shoot it in L.A., then we would uh, 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 beam it to New York, where it would lose some of its, you know, video integrity. And then they would two weeks later, boom, beam air it there, and then beam it back out here. So our video guys that shot it in L.A., would go, look at our show! It's lost all this video integrity because it's it's like third generation.
1: Anyway, that's, you know. No, that, but that's great, though, because not only did you not have satellite or the ability to send digital files back and forth, you didn't even have FedEx at the time. You didn't have really a, gr- a great way of getting it there. No, we
2: couldn't even send it like, right. you know, I guess I like guess Pony Express was out of business, you know, and we <laughs> were kind of right in between there. <laughs> But they could have sent t- a whole tape. You know, they could have sent Why a whole not? reel and Why done not? that. And yeah. Sent the reel back out to us. Anyway, so I, I, I come in, and I, I do a, I, I come in that morning, and I go, oh, shit, I'm doing a soap opera. I'm not going to know anybody. These people are all very serious, you know. They're terrible actors, you know. And, and uh, everybody's, you know, very intense about what they do. So I come out to the second floor on Television City, and, and I'm walking down to, like, the fourth door, and I start walking down this this hall, and I hear, it's like a rehearsal hall in New York. It's like a rehearsal building. The door on the left has, uh, there's eight dancers in there and eight singers, a piano player and a drummer. And they're rehearsing some big dance number for Sonny and Cher for that they're going to shoot Saturday night. And I look through the little square window, and I go, what? And I go to the next door, and it's the same thing. Eight dancers, a drummer, a, and a pianist, and they're rehearsing a big thing, and Carabinette's dancing with them. And I went, oh, my God. And I look through the thing, and, and like they, they stopped the number because they had just come to the end of it. And three or four of the dancers went, oh, and they came running over, and they opened the door, and I know them. They recognize them. And they go, what are you doing? Or they're going. What are you doing here? You know, <laughs> that's what they're doing. And I said, I'm going to do the young and the rest. Of they're going. Stop! That is so cool. And so, and then down the hall, it's 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 uh, Tony Orlando and Don. And and oh my goodness. And so all of these musicians, all the drummers, dancers, singers, and. Television stars are all on this floor getting ready for Friday night. These were huge shows. These were huge like CBS shows. CBS
1: dominated with these variety oh, shows. Oh yeah, I
2: mean, what? And so here I go. Okay, I'm I'm cool. So I go into my rehearsal. I go, hi everybody, and they go, who's this? <laughs> this is the new guy? And he's I'm coming in there like we're doing Summer Stock. We're going to do you know South Pacific on Friday, you know. <laughs> and they go, calm down. It's a soap opera. Those years, within within a few months, I. Um, we only had one elevator at television city in those years it was a very slow one about the size you know it's tiny and it, it a door opened and it was it was Carol Burnett and Harvey Corman and Tim Conway and and uh, it was going down and I said hey, yeah, yeah even with you guys yeah <laughs> so I get in and the door closes and um, Tim says love your storyline and I went, get out of here! What are you talking about? And they go, no, no. They all laughed and they said, Carol, and and they said, we watch you guys rehearsing all the time because in the studio you can see all the what's happening in the other, in the other studios. <laughs> we make fun of you all the time. Sorry. And I said, well, we make fun of you guys, too, you know, when you're trying to do your block. I, I know, it's hilarious, isn't it? They were so respectful, once again, uh, like Elvis was, so respectful of what you're accomplishing every day and what you have to get done and, and so respectful of the mountain you got to climb. And uh, uh, they expect that from everybody. We all expect that from each other. And they were so generous that way. And so it was so much fun to meet Carol and the rest of them that way. Because years later, I've done, I did theater with Carol, right? And and uh, went into the audition, and she went, oh, "What are you doing here?"
1: And oh. I said, "Oh my God!" And so I felt like I, you know, I knew somebody. How how many how much of uh, the pangs of missing musical theater were you feeling around that time? M- uh, musical theater, yeah. missing it. it? it
2: I, I, Were you I still doing it at the same time? Uh, no. no. It took me a while to get back into it. But then after I got to be a name in television, I, I got to go out in Summerstock and be above the title. <laughs> no, don't look so, so I was doing a lot of that. that. Huh? <laughs> you did
1: become a name in television. I did. You, you Come looked on. pained for a yeah, second yeah, there. Well, there yeah. no, you know,
2: Summerstock was still a real big deal in yeah. the 70s and, and in St. Louis and Kansas City, Indianapolis, Atlanta. And, and every summer I would go out. Because you could go out for two weeks' rehearse, And then play it for like three cities and then come back. So you were gone from your show a month or five weeks, and they didn't learn they could do it without you. So, but I never wanted to go longer than (laughs) that. Too long, right. Once in a while, I'm going to call to replace somebody in New York, and I would say, that's for six months. I go, no, because they'll keep doing my show and they won't care to have me back, you know. Well, you probably could.
1: You probably learned something right away from the fact that when you showed up to Young and Restless, it was because uh, obviously they didn't fire the guy, but uh, daytime dramas. Definitely have shown that they don't necessarily sweat it if an actor leaves. No, they don't. You know, yeah. we've we have
2: recently on Bold and Beautiful after 25 years lost two major actors playing two major characters, and uh, when that when we knew that was going to happen, we all went, "Oh my god!" You know, this is a big deal. Yeah, and and it is, and it was, but uh, <coughs> but it was not the end of the world right. because the show is the show. And so one of the actors, the actress, her character died. So there's no recasting her and so on. But she stayed an extra six or eight weeks beyond her contract to play out this wonderful storyline. And it was it was generous because we all got to play the story where the character died. The other guy who left the show, we just wrote him out for a while, and he's like off in the Paris office working. And uh, um, <laughs> The and character is. Two years later, the character is. Yes. And then two years later, the character comes back, and he's like incredibly different uh, physically, the actor. Uh, Had some work like, done, did he? Huh? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> His name, yeah, it looked like that. His name is Torsten K., He's, he's a, a, a very accomplished actor, very natural, very uh, visceral. The other guy was like very beautiful and, and, and very uh, on the surface, but a good, uh, you know, nice. He did a good job. But this guy is a you know, it's a totally different character now. And so we have had to explain a little bit why what's happened to Red. You know, he's a little different. But it's great success. And the, the thing you do learn is, yeah, these shows stand on their reputation and their history. And there are 20 characters on the show besides you. And, and if you die, you die. <laughs> because right. we have other characters to react to that. It only creates a wonderful storyline for the other
1: people. You yeah, know? yeah, So nobody's going to sit around and say, what's happening to the show? No, world? I mean, they, they thrive on drama, so sure. there's nothing more dramatic than, than somebody passing away in sure. some interesting way. So uh, and I know we've consolidated your professional history here a little bit, but even considering the, the uh, Army years, it seems like there was never a time that you weren't performing. I mean, was there a period where you were just st- struggling, looking, or, or, kind of? Or, or I mean, was it, did something always lead to the next thing? No,
2: something always led to the next thing. The longest I've ever not worked, and I'm very proud of this, was six months, uh, and I didn't know when I was going to work again. And when it was and, this? Uh, it was 1968. You yeah. know, I, I had done lots of theater. Uh, I had no. I had done no television yet. And my work was all in the chorus and stepping forward, doing imp- uh, supporting roles and this and that. Mm-hmm. And, and I had, and in 1969, I got to play, I got to do MAME with Ann Miller, uh, the tab dancer oh, Ann Miller. Wow. And uh, here in LA, not on tour, she did a big tour, but, but when it played LA, I got to play Second Act Patrick, which is what she always called me. <laughs> Whenever she was, Second Act Patrick, you know, she never knew my name. Anyway, uh, <laughs> after that, then, that's when they opened the Hilton in Vegas uh, in 1969 or 70 is when it opened. And they opened it with, with Andy Williams in the showroom, and they had nothing else. They hadn't signed to anybody else to uh, play the showroom. And it was a huge monster showroom. So Andy Williams did his two weeks, and that was it. And while he was doing it, they decided to put MAME in the showroom, starting Juliet Prowse. And that's when I met Juliet and, and got to know her. And that's when I started, and I had worked in Vegas already in theater. And so it wasn't like, Oh, I'm in Vegas now. I had already been in Vegas quite a bit. And so I did MAME there with her and we, we ran there for three months or so. And, uh, and while I was there with her, she was coming up with a big new show, a big new, uh, show, uh, to do for Howard Hughes, uh, at oh. the desert Inn, oh, you know, I cause guess, he owned, yeah. he owned the desert Inn and the frontier and various and sundry other things. And, uh, as she had signed a big contract with him. So she was putting together this big new club act and uh, also was going to be doing... Su- oh, I know. And then after we did Sweet Charity together, I got cast in that with her. And then she started building this new club act and that included a singer-actor guy who could do sketches with her. That's that's how it became oh, okay. w- with her. But they had the Howard Hughes thing is cool.
1: Yeah, it, it, it Howard Hughes did spend. Obviously, everybody knows he kind of had that period where he was, you know, a hermit and he was all kind of closed up, but he owned a giant chunk of Vegas. He did. He did. He was buying it then. I mean, yeah. he was, that's when he was buying it in the, uh, in the
2: early sixties and acquiring a, a lot of stuff. So by the time we're doing Juliet's act in at the desert Inn, he owns that, that hotel and is living upstairs in the high rise and he's gone nuts. You know, I mean, he's, so nobody's, he's full, nobody's he's, seen him.
1: Yeah. He's full on hermit. At Nobody this point. has seen him. Yeah.
2: Well, a couple of years before that, I'm in the lounge at the Desert Inn doing Tom Jones, a musical of of the Fielding novel. It's a very funny, cute little show that we did, and uh, we wouldn't finish until like two o'clock in the morning, two thirty, and we would because it was so late. We were all starving, and it was a small show. It was like five guys and five girls, you know, and you know it was great, and and. Uh, so at the end of the day, we. You don't know, nobody do- can see you do that. You can see me. You can't see me holding my hands in front of my brush. You can't see that? Anyway, the girls were delicious. The description and, you know, of the costuming is what you're yes. trying to get across. Yeah, I'm uh, relating to that. Uh, uh, and I was wearing tights, and they were, you know, with the fist. in <laughs> so, so we would go in the coffee shop there. It was called the Copper Skillet, and they had a great wonton uh, soup. Uh, anyway, we would go in there and eat. Uh, and it's the middle of the night. Every night. A guy, this big muscled guy in a polo shirt, would come down, and he would come down and talk. He would order uh, a big container of chicken soup to take upstairs to Mister Hughes, to Howard Hughes, and and uh, and and talk to us. And then he would take it and say goodnight and go up to upstairs. And we knew that that's where that was going. And then I realized it's probably not for Howard Hughes at all. He's probably just looking at our girls. But he would come. This guy works for Howard Hughes up there and took care of him. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And then one, one year, I'll tell you another Howard Hughes, we were, uh, I was then, a few years later, doing the show with Ve- in Vegas and in the showroom with Juliet. Oh, Howard Hughes was friends with uh, the president of Mexico at that time. And the then president of Mexico had an autistic child. And so autism and raising money for research in autism was very important to him. He asked his friend Howard Hughes on the phone, you never had seen him, uh, uh, to if he would provide some entertainment for that one night in Mexico City and he said sure. So Howard Hughes told us we're all going. Now this is this is 12 or 13 people. It's Julia's conductor and all the people in her act and so on. He flew us all down there to Mexico City to do the show one night. The fun part of this <laughs> is that is that Julia was the star. They all went, you know, they all flew commercial But Juliet and I and her conductor and her manager got to go in his jet from Las Vegas to Mexico City. Pretty cool. And we did the show. And the next morning, the pilots came to us. that We had got to know the day before. And they said, uh, Mr. Hughes has put the plane at your disposal for the next couple of days. Where would you like to go? For
1: the next couple of days. Yes. And we went, where would we like to go?
2: (laughs) What? And uh, uh, the pilots said, no, no, no. I suggest that Puerto Vallarta or, or uh, uh, any number of places, uh, Cabo San Lucas or Acapulco. So we went to Acapulco, and we stayed there and flew home. On it, Howard cool? Hughes' dime? On Howard Hughes' dime. Amazing. He had quite a few dimes. <laughs> anyway, that, you know, that's cool. It, it's a fun story. You know, this is what are life, I've had, you know, now I've narrowed my career, as, as everyone's does uh, has narrowed down over the years. But but in at the beginning, I was willing and able to do everything. Commercials, comedy, right. drama, uh, theater. Well, uh, you talk
1: know. about some of the shows you uh, made guest appearances on. This is concurrent to while you were working on daytime dramas. You were on, you did a Three's Company episode? Oh, I did all the comedies. He, you, you know did when all I of left, them, right? No,
2: when I left y I left Young and Restless after five years because it expanded to an hour. And contractually, I was not obligated to stay. Now you So are, you but left but, on your know, own? I didn't have to go, yeah. I mean, I didn't have to stay. So I went, I said, you know, and I had just gotten married. Lorette and I had just gotten married. Juliet and I were divorced, by the way. I shoved that under the carpet, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We've all looked that else. up on Wikipedia. We yeah. all know about that. Anyway, uh, Lorette and I had just gotten married, and I was discussing. Uh, uh, Lorette, an actress as we well. Had, Lorette had been doing Battlestar Galactica and ha- having her success in, in, in episodic television. So I'm looking at it and I'm looking at her career and I'm going to mine. I'm sitting in TV city all the time. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I can leave and, you know, be available for the brass ring jobs out there and read for pilots and stuff. You know, I never thought it'd be in movies. I just thought I want to have a big TV show. So, uh, I left and, uh, I left the show on good terms, obviously, because they called me back eight years later to do bold and beautiful. But I, but I left and I I thought, what am I going to do? And I, I had, uh, I needed to change my image because my image on that show was tuxedo, eight by ten glossy. And pretty boy, uh, you were a pretty boy. I was a pretty boy, and I, but a, but a good enough actor to carry it off, and you know, and so on. So, I went to an agent and I said, "I'm not." I would get. I wasn't getting any calls for. I wasn't getting calls to play lawyers or husbands or boyfriends or or, or anything other than a eight by ten glossy guy. And he said, But you're funny. And I said, Yeah. And he says, OK. For, for a year now, I'm going to submit you only for comedy. We're not going to try to be a lawyer or, or a serious dad of little kids. We're going to submit you for ridiculous, funny guys. And so for the first year, I did all those shows. I did Alice and Three's Company and, and Too Close for Comfort and, and Family Ties and all And I always played. Uh, an asshole womanizer, <laughs> or or some idiot broadcaster, Bobby broadcaster, I called it. You know, um, that's all I played. Or the old the old boyfriend. Who comes back for the uh, for the uh, the reunion to play somebody's you know guy that used to be uh, that, uh, really yeah. nice, but now he's like cool. He's and, become the and and, and he doesn't have any now. money at all, but but he still wears. <laughs> and the these suit were me. all one-offs, right? These were all was, one-offs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No I didn't I didn't recurring stuff. You were no. just but you
1: were popping up on. How many, Do you have any sense of how many shows you did during that period? No,
2: I mean it was 1980 until 19. 19- uh, 87 that I did episodic television over and over and over again. And I also did all the all the other ones I did, you know, uh, like like uh, uh, all, all, all the big dramas, too. I did right. all those shows. And the Love Boat and Fantasy Island, you know. Were you on The Love so Boat? So I was on it, all McCook. that stuff. I was on The Love oh Boat twice. Lorette was on it two or three times, <laughs> you know. I was like third down the list. You know, they would say, Chad Everett, no. And this one, and they say, okay, John McCook. But she's, <laughs> Uh, but I got to work, you know. I worked all the time, and I, I never, uh, I, I, uh, I would read for pilots now and then, but but not very many. And there were a lot of pilots to read for. But you see, if you were an episodic freelancer in those years, you could make a living. You were
1: a working actor. This I was. was. This was steady. Yeah, yeah I've never. And they didn't that. worry that you were had appeared on one show and you were going to appear on. No, that. They, they didn't about care that. about. You know, no. they're going to mix him up with that other character. No, right. even if they played against each other, nobody would check that. They didn't care. I mean, right. you know. Uh, was it didn't there, matter. Was there ever a? I mean, y- you talk about Peter Pan, and you were a little guy then. How old were you when that Peter Pan? Uh, Twelve. Okay. Was there ever a Plan b, b besides what your maybe your mom wanted you to do? Was there? No, no. Besides <laughs> what
2: she wanted, no, no. I <laughs> was, was never <laughs> going to be an English teacher or yeah. or a pianist or teach piano or no. I was going to be an actor. You know, I I, I was I would watch um, like Dick Van Dyke on TV, and you know, and I would say, you know, I I I think I saw an article about him once, and it wasn't a fan magazine, so I didn't have those things in the house, but it was in a newspaper probably. And he was funny. Mm -hmm. He was smart. He was a pretty good actor. And he was married, and he had kids, and he had a house in Encino, I don't know. And I thought, that's what I want. Dick Van Dyke. I want to be, I want to be Dick, I don't want to be Dick Van Dyke, but I want to be the husband, and the actor, and the father that, I see out there. Yeah. And he was the only example that I knew of. There were others too, of course. Many, not as many as you would want. But he he was also
1: versatile. Yes. He he could do musical. You know, know, when I
2: think back of who, who influenced me, you know, who did I watch that I wanted to be? I I wanted to be Red Red Skelton. Oh, wow! I wanted to be, uh, um, Donald O'Connor. Donald O'Connor was a good, good actor. And Funny. And could sing, and of course Great he could dancer, dance pretty well, too. Yeah. And I had to you know, check that off the list. But those are the people <laughs> I wanted to be. I wanted yeah. to be those people. I didn't want to be Cary Grant, because I, I, I saw him being funny. I mean, I absolutely respected that. Sure. Handsome and funny and a good dramatic actor. I'd like to be Cary Grant. Yeah, that's cool. But I thought Donald O'Connor was was more of something to aspire to. Yeah, and 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 uh, Sid Caesar and and you know those funny people that were on
1: television who could do that variety style. Who came? Yeah. Who, who? Yeah. The, back the, to the, that old vaudeville type of entertainment. And they entertainment. could
2: stand next to Ella Fitzgerald and sing with her. Right. You know uh, when she was on the show. Right. And then
1: do something hilarious in yeah. the in the next. Sure. Piece. And yeah. fall over her gown. You know? I mean, are there People like that anymore? Do yes, you, but you, they're,
2: but they're not on TV every week that we can see. But sure yeah, there right. are. Yeah. Sure there are. Right. Me? No, but you know, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of people out there. But but there's no venue for them to do the,
1: all of that in one place. No. So now with the Bold and the Beautiful, you have seen the daytime drama kind of luster begin to wane a bit. But you guys are still strong. And you were telling me before the response in other countries continues to be at this really. Ervant it's level. huge, you know. When now, we, what, what, how do you explain that, or has ex- it always been there? No, no,
2: it hasn't always been there. Look, when when we started in '87, this is this is also one of those uh, coincidental things. When when Bold and Beautiful started in '87, uh, we were half an hour. We were easy to sell because we were half an hour. We were about the the fashion industry, which made it glamorous. We were set in Beverly Hills, Southern California. And we were new and cheap to buy. If okay, in '87 and '88 and '89, television stations all over Western and Eastern Europe were being deregulated. Government was getting out of the television business in all these countries, and private ownership was starting to happen uh, with radio, television, Luxembourg, and these these different private ownership was starting to take over television broadcasting. Uh, in a way that it had not had before. So
1: they in those were countries, there. they had only been seeing their own local controlled countries right. TV, That's which right. was usually news and maybe news some and local movies dramas and, and, and some movies. dramas
2: that they buy from from you know from Sofia Bulgaria, you know, and different places like that. <laughs> you know, so so <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> weird. So anyway. What happened is that these new ownership—they wanted to get hip, they wanted to get some new American product and snap—but they couldn't afford *Young and Restless* because it was an hour; it's too expensive. They couldn't afford uh, *General Hospital*, or they didn't like it we well. got But here we were—we were beautiful, we were young, we were we were handsome and gorgeous, and we were about—we were international in scope, or the story was international, and it was about the fashion industry. There's models we're doing. We're doing, uh, um, we're doing fashion shows all the time and stuff. So they bought us. They were able to afford putting us on. What what I didn't realize, and what's hard to remember, is that none of these countries until then had daily serials on. They had had Dallas. They had had big one-hour shows that came on once a week. Those are serials, but they only happened once a week. They would repeat them through the week, maybe of that episode and show it again. But they had never had a daytime television serial in Amsterdam, in, in the Netherlands, in Italy, in France. Uh, England had it was very hard, very hard sell for us in the U.K. because they had their own soap operas. Right. But these other show, these other countries didn't have it. And so all of a sudden, they're showing us four times a day. They're showing it and and at night, and and they get his, they got hysterical about it. Greece. And Italy, we were the number show, number one television show in Italy for twenty years, including all their primetime stuff, right? Amazing. Because they got into our drama. Now, are they dubbing you guys? Are you have you uh, se- in some countries? Yes. Have you seen but these? In, oh yeah, sure. I've met the guy that does my voice. He's he he in, contracts in which, it. In which country? He's Italian. <laughs> He's Italian, but he speaks French, and he is the uh, contractor to hire the actors and actresses to dub our show in like three different languages. That's all he does. He does our show five days a week in different languages Just with Just dubbing different actors. your show. Just
1: dubbing our show. Once in a while, he'll do a movie. He doesn't need movies anymore. He's got this, you know, <laughs>
2: right? It's so cool.
1: Well, tell me about you. You told me the story, uh, <laughs> Monaco. Tell me about Monaco. Oh, look, you know. Wh- this is kind of insane. This is kind of cool because you guys get your recognition at the daytime drama awards that happen here. Yeah, and and, you know, remember we live in L.A. Here, daytime, and 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 it's the same
2: as living in New York. If you're an actor, people see you on the street and they go, "Hey," you know, they just go, "Hey," you know, they wave or or maybe somebody will say, "I love your show" or whatever, you know. But they don't gush. They don't gush because they see actors all the time, you know. And you live in L.A. and you're, you're somebody in your block is in show business, if not everybody. So it's not a big deal. My wife and I celebrated our twentieth anniversary um, by taking her, uh, by by taking her mother, her her sister, and her son, and and our three kids, and a girlfriend. There were nine of us, and we had a house in in Bulle Sumer, which is between uh, Nice and and uh, and Monaco. And uh, we were there for a couple of weeks, and we were just laying in the sun and just loving it, you know, and having espresso in the morning. <laughs> I'm only just now over that. Uh, so so we
1: uh, <laughs> you it obviously has stayed with you. Yeah, yeah. you're getting misty-eyed as you speak. Oh of it. my goodness, yes,
2: <laughs> And uh, the
1: smell alone. You know.
2: so so uh, we would walk down to uh, we were up on the hillside looking at the at the Côte you know the Mediterranean is out there, just beautiful. We'd come down and and go to the village or cross the road to go into the very overpriced, beautiful little places to eat dinner on the marina and uh, so standing there on the road to cross it's the only road between Neeson and Monte Carlo so there's a lot of traffic there and buses with tourists and so on so we're standing waiting to cross and my character's name is Eric Eric Forrester so I'm, I'm standing there with my family waiting to cross and very patiently and Dan, you know, idling in front of us is a beautiful two-seater sports car. And there's a beautiful man in his thirties, uh, smoking with dark glasses on. He's fabulous looking, and and this girl next to him is more beautiful than he is, and they're they're wonderful, and they're paying no attention to anybody, and they're talking and carrying on in Italian, this and that. And then it turns green for them, and just as they pull away, the uh, the the Italian guy behind the behind the wheel looks over. and he says ciao, Eric, and drives away. <laughs> And I looked at my wife and I said, now I'm a star.
1: Now I'm a star. You know, pretty cool. Between that and Elvis, that's all you need right That's there. all
2: I need. Elvis uh, never said chow to me, but, you know, he meant something to eat.
1: So since 1987, you've been part of Bold and the Beautiful. And <laughs> yeah. now, I mean, the the schedule's different now. You guys work differently now. You know what?
2: Yeah. We, because of budget cutbacks, everybody's had to do uh, more for less money. Faster, funnier, cheaper. Um, and we all get very, you know, uh well very have, insulted just, by this, you know. Well we I was go gonna re- say, do you just
1: roll with it? Do you do well, you push back? I mean you can't leave, you know. Yeah, if you don't yeah. want to
2: do it, don't do it, you know. What's happened is that we used to shoot one show a day, five days a week, and uh, and about and then and then they would do the post production and have it ready and it would air two, three, four days, four weeks after and be ready. Now In order to save money, we only shoot four days a week. We shoot everything that we need to have for eight shows in four days. We shoot only Tuesday through Friday. We only shoot three weeks a month. We're dark 22 weeks a year. But we're able to shoot all of those shows that we need to shoot. Now, the actors don't make any less money because we're shooting just as many episodes. Right. We may have a smaller salary, but we're, making, we're shooting as many shows. It's hard for the below-the-line people, hair and makeup. They don't get to work as many. You know, It's oh, not right. a steady job for them, so right. they have to find a better job somewhere or, or uh, you know, supplement what they're doing with us with something else. Um, so it's very fast now, now, now that I've answered that with all that. It's very fast. We have no rehearsal now. We used, to, we used to meet, we'd, 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 we'd read it out loud to each other, we'd have blocking, shows blocking where you can all go, go to the window, sit down here, and then we'd have a run through, and all the time getting ready with makeup, and then we would do a dress rehearsal, and then we would shoot the show from 315 to 345, and, uh, and now we're done. And uh, that was nice. Well, now we That's, come in. It, although that still seems well, pretty a pretty well, intensive being schedule. Being on a soap opera has always been intense, right? And it's always been hard because you're doing even in the old days doing a
1: lot of shows. Yeah,
2: but now, and well, that was one show a day though. Right, that was cool. Now we're doing all the material from two shows, if not more, uh, a day. Uh, so we're we're shooting eighty to hundred pages a day. You know, people who don't know about it don't know that episodic television uh, has gotten a lot faster, but they're still not shooting 10, 10 pages a day. They're shooting six and eight pages a day. And if it has to do with a stunt or something outside, it takes up even more time, right, you know? Right. Uh, but we're on a set. We don't do that. <laughs> we're in here, and all we do is talk. We don't get into cars and drive away. Right. We don't feel time by walking across there's the no park. There's no establishing shots. You know? There's yeah. none of that. Let's no. see how affected he is by the way he walks. You know, <laughs> we don't do that. You know, we sit down and we tell how we feel. You, know. you talk
1: and you brood. That's right.
2: There's yes. no subtext. We tell we say everything. <laughs> so we what can, what we did complain you... about that? So now there's no rehearsal. So if an actor comes in. Who's a day player? <laughs> who's never worked with us before? Uh, I always make a point to say because if it's a grown-up actor, they come in, they expect to have some rehearsal. And, sure. Uh, you know. Block but, the scene so and all. So we that. go on the set and and they go, it's blocking, and they go, okay. We got a pencil and and we don't st- we sit around and she says. Okay, you, you start at the head of the table, John, and on this line, cross to behind the desk and then he'll walk out and then we fade to black, okay? And in the next scene, uh, you get up from the desk and, you go, and the guy goes, no, wait, are we gonna, we gonna, we gonna do that? And they go, no, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna do that when we shoot it. Okay, and now again, so, so you're writing down, you're blocking, and that's the time when I have to go to somebody and say, we're gonna rehearse now in my dressing room. We're gonna run our lines in the dressing room because we, when we come out, we're not going to be running lines we know the scene and we're going to play the scene when we come out on the on the floor because that's what we do out there we shoot the show on the floor we don't really rehearse anymore yeah. so there's there's it's a completely different and very unique to Creativity in in and for actors, it's very unique in all the business.
1: Well, it relies on those of you who have been doing this for a while to now just let your instincts take over and know that they trust you. Well, but, they do. But for, they, but for the for these day players that you're talking about, because even if they've done episodic TV, whether it's you know multiple camera or single camera, there's a lot of process to that. There is very little process We have to that. you, know, we have you no hit process. the ground running. The yeah.
2: process is shooting it. Yeah, you know? our process is in the dressing rooms yes. and in the makeup when we intensely cut a line or rephrase it so that it's going to make more sense to us, you know, because the director no time for that.
1: So the in prod- a way you've actually got a little more control over your performance over, Well, uh, more, we of, have a lot of influence. So I wouldn't yeah. say control, but we do influence, influence it. We
2: don't we don't ad lib. That, that's a misunderstanding. We we paraphrase you know if it's if it's a paragraph then you can't reduce it to one line without right. saying something about it you still need to do the paragraph because they need to know when the end of it is something cut away from you right. or cut away before the end of your line to go you know the director needs to know how we're going to honor their homework Mm -hmm. right because they've marked the script they're ready to shoot it and if you're going to change the line and walk you can't walk to the window in the middle of your line because nobody's going to shoot you because we don't have time to change the shots that's also rehearsal that's also time changing if it's an important thing we can do that once or twice in the day and change that blocking before we shoot it we can't do it while we're doing it
1: you only get so many mulligans in that that's right that just, and so like, you know, the that makes young, me I, nervous just talking about uh, it. Yeah, I'm it, starting, it. I'm starting. I'm needing to go to the bathroom myself.
2: <laughs> so the, uh, the what's happened is that I see these young actors come in, and I'm you know I, I don't mean to put myself as old actor, young actor, but these people are that. these actors are eighteen to twenty one or two years old, and they come in and they they're, they're good, They look beautiful, but they come in and they're smart. They're good because they've made it through the 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 screen screen tests. They made it through the audition process. So they've they won the part. So they they come in with some 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 kind of good bags bag of tricks, you know, some authority, some some talent. And they come in and they see in two or three days they go, Okay, I got it. But but when it's an actor who's thirty, who's done soaps before and hasn't done them for a while, comes in and goes, Shit, I can't work like this. And you go, yes, you can. You have (laughs) to. You find a way. That's what we got. And you go, okay. So my salute is to the young ones that come in, and they don't know any different. I don't mean, they're not, it's a naivete, which is not a bad thing. They just come in and they go, okay, I got it. And they do it. And there's skill and talent there that just blows me away. We have... We have a wonderful group of actors on Bold and Beautiful, and, you know, on, on all the soaps that are on the air. I don't mean to exclude them, but I, I don't know them. Uh, but you work closely with these people. You work closely
1: with these people. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. know them. We before.
2: are, you know what, people forget, you know, they think, you know, actors compete with each other and uh, they try to get a better storyline than somebody else and, and they're a little jealous when somebody else gets something, you know, up in the front burner and I've been on back burner for three months. There's some of that, but not very much. <laughs> what we have, uh, we depend on each other. we have we are incredibly dependent on each other. if i have if I have challenging dramatic work to do today, and my scenes are with you, and you were up till three o'clock last night, dicking around and you don't know your lines, and you're not it's not as important to you as it is to me, then we failed each other. And we don't do that to each other. We just don't because we need if we're not good if we don't improve what's on the paper if we don't improve what they've written then we're not doing our job it has to come alive but you know it's so poetic it has to come alive when we do it come alive but it's true it's absolutely true this is not literature and i, I say this with all due respect and a lot of a lot of respect is due to the people who write all this material a all lot year long. yeah huge but this is not Broadway. This is not uh, American theater literature. This is soap opera. It's comic strip. I say that with all due respect too. I don't mean funny papers. I mean it's it's a uh, um, it's comic strip. What's that? A news? Uh, it's five panels a day, and turn the page for tomorrow. Right. That's Cereal. what we do. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like Merry Worth or or the old the old comics that were serious not going for a punchline but rather moving the story ahead so you had to look at it tomorrow right. that's what we do and so we need to make it very enticing and very uh, heightened
1: the, uh, it's it's the the classic reason for entertainment the reason it was created it allows people to follow these characters that they get to know and take them out of their own drudgery or problems or whatever day to day because they get to follow yours in, yeah. a, in a fun flashy Crazy, exotic. Oh, yeah, uh, whatever you know, it Whatever is. way.
2: And they get angry. They get, you know, they of get course incredibly they, no, angry they're at the choices. In it. The choices a character makes. Right. They go, oh my God, I'm never going to watch the show again. We get these letters every day. Well, I'm not going to watch your show again, given how stupid you were. And I go, yeah. And then next Tuesday, they're there going, oh my God, I love what you did, you know?
1: <laughs> you redeemed My yourself. favorite fan
2: letter, and I wrote back to it. I, when we first started Bold and Beautiful, I hadn't uh, been on daytime television shows for eight years. And uh, I got a letter from a that says, well, you certainly aged. <laughs> and I wrote back and I said, you look the same as you did when you were watching me
1: on the Young and Restless? You don't look the same either. Don't write me again. So if we can learn anything from this, folks, be careful if you approach John McCook. That's right. Don't tell me anything about what I look like now.
2: Excuse me. I, my, my gag is like when I started – when I started Bold and Beautiful, I was uh, 42 years old, and now it's my waist size. And so, think, you know.
1: <laughs> so with your experience, with your history, with being the kid who saw Peter Pan and knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing, um, I know that there are people who listen to stuff like this looking for that inspiration, looking for kind of people's individual paths and how they got to where they get. And sometimes it's, I, I always talk about this formula, other people have talked about it too, there's a little bit of, look, of luck, there's, a, the, there's the guy who bails, and you get to fill in, sure. there's um, a little bit of just kind of destiny of, you know, I was born to do this, and there's almost always a lot of hard work, I mean, it has to be a lot of hard work, you have to invest time, and energy, and faith in it, That's, so what do you yeah. tell people, what do you tell those kids who have had that same experience of, this is the only thing I know that I want to do. So well, then, what you know, do you my, impart to the, them?
2: The, You know, the advice
1: is if it's the only thing that you want
2: to do, then do it. Don't complain about it. Uh, if you're not working and making any money at it right now, do something that you can pay your rent with, you know, wait table or play piano bar or, or I don't know, get something so you can afford to be alive and healthy and then... You need to be in workshops. You need to be studying all the time. You have to be acting every week. If you're going to be an actor, you have to act every week, if not every day. And if it's not for money, then it's not for money. And I I sympathize. But you have to work every day at what you want to do. If you're going to play trumpet for a living, you can't just pick up the trumpet every Thursday. you know, you got to play trumpet every every day. You have to play piano every day if that's what you want to do. And If you want to be an actor, you have to do the same thing. You have to keep your... your Yourself healthy and well, and, and, and healthy is very important, so that your energy is good. And, and you need to work with other actors in workshops and in uh, audition classes and classes about cold reading. There's all these classes here in LA, you know, some of them are ripoffs, but not very many of them. And, and you'll know as soon as you go in, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, if there are young other people there who are really serious about what they want to do and have a sense of humor about how hard this is, then work with them. Because there, you're going to need that, you know. This is, if this is, oh my God, one year I was doing Oklahoma in Stock, and, and, and we had to open like in 10 minutes, you know. There's no time for anybody. <laughs> and and we, were in, we were in St. Louis and it's hot and we have to stop for the thunder and lightning and the tornado warnings and shit, you know. We're working outdoors. And, and uh, um, I, I can't remember, I'm going to remember his name in the middle. The, the guy playing, okay, so I'm playing Curly in Oklahoma. I'm riding a horse on the stage at the beginning singing, oh, what a beautiful morning. It's pretty cool. And uh, um, there's a little actor, an old actor playing uh, Ali Hakam the funny character in the show. And, and we are going to open tomorrow and we're in the rehearsal hall outside with a tent over us. Stubby K, the actor's Stubby K, and he's playing Allie Hackham. And, and I'm going, how are you doing, Allie? You know, I, you know we're, we're working here. I said, Stubby, how are you feeling? He said, how am I feeling? I haven't had my blocking for the last scene. We're going to open tomorrow, and I can't do it. I haven't had enough time to rehearse, and I don't know what's going to And I said, stop it. Stop it, because I was playing, you know, I hadn't had all my blocking either. I said, Stubby, Stubby, if this isn't fun, it's too hard. You know, just calm down. We're going to be fine. I'm going to be sure that you get enough to rehearsal. Well, yeah, I want to. You know, he's been in the business 72 years longer than me at that point. <laughs> and I said, you're going to get to rehearse. I'll see to it. Yeah, well, okay, because you're the star of the show. And, you are gonna, you know, I said, okay, stubby. And I did. You know, I said, block his scenes. He's, you know, he's, he's very nervous. And I don't want to be on stage with him when he's nervous like that, <laughs> you know. Anyway, but, but that's the truth. This, this, this is really fun. That's what I say. To the actors who are having a hard time today this is so fucking oh my god i can't do it this is serious. and i say come in here and sit down what are your friends doing now well i said no 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 your best buddy what's he doing well he's, he's he's he works at a car wash you know in denver he's working at a car wash in denver what are you doing you're on a you're on a network television show this is cool is it hard <laughs> yeah but this is fun man this is fun and if you think it's harder than that, then don't do it because this is really cool. Now come on. And and don't stay up all night learning your lines. Learn your lines in the morning. Go to bed. Get your rest and come in here and clear headed and learn your lines the day of. Don't fret. Don't don't sweat blood about this. This is really fun. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it harder than what he wants to do? Yeah. There's film there's film stars that would come and say, I'm not gonna work like this. And I go, Okay. I get it. You know, people have, I've had people visit us who are actors in other mediums and they come there all day and they go, this is the most hostile environment for an actor that I've ever been at. And it's not hostile because people are mean. Right. It's just hostile because there's no time. And you go, well, if, if you don't, if you need more time to do a feature film, I would I would need more time to do a feature film. You know, I want to talk to the writer. I want to talk to the director. I want to have rehearsal before we start principal photography. You bet. Or if I'm gonna have a role on, on the good wife, you know, for four days, then I want to I wanna have that conversation with those people before we shoot the scenes. And they wanna have that conversation with me too, because it's fun, you know. We don't have time for that. And if that makes it too hard for you, then don't be here because we gotta do it.
1: Awesome. John McCook. Thank you, sir.
2: Cool. Ciao Eric. Yeah, bravo, bravo. Grazie, grazie.
0: Get. A. Monkey. Get a monkey!